This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Jesse. Hi. Hi, I'm Julie from Forgotten Classics Podcast. And I'm Wayne, Wayne June. From Audiobook Case and uh, some other places, too. Yeah, and uh, and coming to you from the living room couch. <laughs> um, uh, are you still doing work for Audio Realms? Uh, yeah, uh, Fred and I talk a uh, couple times a week, and uh, we don't have anything specific in the uh, in the works right at this instant. But uh, but yeah, I've, I've done a lot of stuff for him, and I'm sure we're going to be working together again. Right, right. Yeah, I'm. I'm a big fan of your work. I, uh, I, I, I'm happy to say um, what made me think of having you come on the podcast was actually seeing my, uh, my review on the front of this audiobook. <laughs> um, it, I think that was for H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. Um, uh, yep, I believe so. And uh, you, you, you always seem to have nice things to say about me, and I, I will never hesitate to repeat well, them. So. Well, you might be a, be a real jerk of a person, but you're a great narrator. Oh, well, thank you. I, 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 I don't know you that well. Have, have, so. you, been, have you been talking to my wife? Or? <laughs> yeah, she's, she, she's pitching to me about you all the time. Uh, no, no. Um, yeah, just you've got, you've got this uh, resonant, sonorous, uh, expressive... Voice that's basically perfect for a- anything in October, I think. Yeah, and uh, you know, I'm just I'm kind of naturally creepy, and uh, <laughs> it's, it, <laughs> it, uh, it it gave me problems earlier in life because my voice changed when I was like 11. So, oh my, uh, yeah, my uh, my 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 telephone interaction with the uh, uh, members of the opposite sex always ended up. As a head-to-head with the father. Yeah. So. <laughs> Who's this creepy ma- old man who wants to hang out with my 11-year-old daughter? Yeah. Honest, I'm only 11. Oh know. my! So it didn't didn't work. Well, you've got you've got basically the 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 uh, a voice that's made for audiobooks. How how uh, did you get into it? Did uh, somebody say, "Hey, I've got a I've got a idea for you," or did you just come to it on your own? How how did that? Uh, well, um, I've been a musician for a long time, so I've been, you know, recording, uh, you know, since I was, uh, basically 12 or 13 years old. Um, so it was kind of a natural transition in the, on the technical side of things. And, um, uh, also as a musician, I was traveling a lot, so there'd be a lot of long commutes. Um, right. So if I'm driving for four or five or six hours, I'd go to the library and, and take out an audio book. And I, I really came to love it. And um, uh, I'd always been uh, an H.P. Lovecraft fan from you know when I was a kid. So I figured I'd just give it a shot, which I did. And uh, it worked, and it's a lot of fun. You know, some people don't, don't uh, take to it, really. Even some professional voice people don't take to it because it's – it's hard work. It is. I, mean, I, I feel silly saying that about something you sit down in, <laughs> in a comfortable chair and do. But, uh, you know, to, to remain focused and consistent over hours and hours and hours of recording and to be able to stop and pick up the next day and sound, you know, like where you left off, 
both in attitude and in, in the technical aspect of things. It's, uh, you know, it's a skill. It's a challenge. It's a, so. it's a big mental effort, too. I mean, to figure out all the, all the characters. I mean, H.P. Lovecraft isn't, isn't well known for his many voices, but um, you do actually have to make a distinction between the narrator's uh, you know the narrative and and the the characters, and there are two or three characters in any given story, and then and then in a book like like this one, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, the uh, the strange case of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, you, you've got um, a, a big tapestry of a story, and so you do sort of have to distinguish a little bit at least between the different characters. Uh, that that fact, like when I tried recording an audiobook one time. <laughs> it was a nightmare, and I, I couldn't get past the first couple of pages because there was, you know, three or four characters, and I I just kept slipping back into the same, you know, character voice for each of them, even though one's a yeah, woman that's... and one's a man. I'm like, oh crap, got to go back. Plus, there's the pacing of how do you read to people who are just listening, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and then there's word pronunciation, which has been oh, driving yeah. me crazy lately. On my podcast, but you know, you've got the Lovecraft words. That's even worse. Uh, well, it, it, with his uh, invented language, uh, I, I really kind of wanted to try and figure out what he meant it to sound like. So, um, mm. uh, it, you know, when you when you're looking at a cluster of consonants, you know, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wait, wait, what, what was? What, what was in his ears when when he wrote that? So, um, you know, I fooled around with it, and uh, it, I forget exactly what line it was, but uh, there, there was one line that uh, I just said, you know, oh screw it, I'm just going to go for it. And <laughs> yeah. I, I boom, I read it read it through the first time, and then stopped later and went back and analyzed it, you know, letter by letter. And lo and behold, it had worked. Wow, <laughs> it was like that. That is a, a an acceptable interpretation, I think. Did you have you seen that little piece that Neil Gaiman wrote that is called "I Cthulhu"? I saw you, you um, posting about it on your. Yeah, it, it's it's hilarious, of course, and it's a takeoff on Lovecraft. But it, he's narrating to his human companion, and it. And he says, you know, I was born in, you know, something, and he goes, <laughs> I don't know how to spell it. Spell it like it sounds. <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely have to check that out because I'm a, a, a big fan of his too, and but I, I wasn't aware of that. So I, I think you'd I, have to be dead on. not to like Neil Gaiman. I mean, he's he is a yeah. modern master. It's amazing. Oh yes. Um, uh, it reminds me of the end of the Rats in the Walls. That's one of the ones I reviewed uh, years ago, and uh, that that you did the narration on. And that one ends with um, the narrator. Um, Sort of devolving, I guess, or retro retrovolving, uh, mm-hmm. and he ends up speaking sort of a guttural um, pigeon of I don't know the Pictish language of England or something uh, while while eating some dead body or something. I can't remember exactly how it ends, but it it's, it, it was it was like uh, if you read the text, there's no way anyone can pronounce it. But you man, oh yeah, here it is. It says. Magna mater, magna mater, ait, and it's like, what? It's a sentence. What the hell does it mean? <laughs> and then and, and like that. Like, what? wow, there's an ending. 
<laughs> well, maybe I'm comfortable with that because a lot of times I, I find myself uh, just talking for the sake of hearing my own voice. And it's a sentence, but what does it mean is, is something that occurs a lot in my life. So, Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot, a lot of this, uh, you know, uh, a lot of what you find, I guess when you're doing an audiobook, you're you're reading things aloud that were probably not, intended to be read aloud uh, I remember there was right. an H. Beam Piper audiobook I reviewed and it had a, uh, some sentences in there that were just not grammatical but when you're looking mm-hmm. at them on the page, uh, you understand their meaning um, and so when the narrator goes to read them it comes off a little clunkily but you still get right. the same you still have the understanding and, and I, I think uh, as long as you're understood and you, you make it clear what the author intended, mm-hmm. I think you did it. You've done a good job. Yeah, well, well, that's um, that's kind of the goal is to, um, in in terms of when you're reading for the ear, to to get off the page. You know, the, the last thing you want to sound like is someone who's reading. And uh, it, it, you said you've you've given it a shot, and um, a- anybody can try this. Just pick up a magazine or a book and. Start reading it, read it aloud, and I don't know if it's because of the way we're taught to try and avoid mistakes of uh, pronunciation or whatever it may be, but there's always some sort of some sort of hesitation when you're sound, when you're reading aloud, and it does not sound anything like it does when you're trying to speak to someone. Mm. You know what I'm yep. saying? It's uh, there's a certain hesitancy there, and a, a, a rhythm and a um, an almost melodic sense where the end of every sentence goes down, and that da 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 ba 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 ba, and it, um, it it's just totally distracting. So that's the first thing you want to do is try to get off the page, and then, as you also said, it's a matter of trying to um, get across what the author was trying to get across, um, and, and it, it doesn't philosophically. If it's something you agree with, great. If it's something you don't agree with, um, tough. Yeah, you've you got to figure get, it out. You've got to yeah. get their idea across and figure out where they're coming from, what they're trying to say, why they're trying to say it. And it's particularly hard in, in those kind of sentences that you um, noted that weren't necessarily written to be read aloud. Because it, when you think about it, you can take any one sentence – uh, say a sentence of you know five or six words, and you can get five or six meanings out of that. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I thought you wanted the pork chop. <laughs> I thought you wanted the pork chop, not the other guy. I thought you wanted the pork chop, not the lamb chop. I <laughs> thought you wanted the pork chop, not you know the the pork you know, belly yep. or whatever. Um, you know, it, it, depending on what word you stress, how you say it. Uh, where your pitch goes, how how interested you sound, um, whether you're just throwing part of the sentence. Yeah, away whether it's a it's a comedy uh, sentence or it's a serious sentence, you know, whether the right. character is and, is a, a joker or not, you know, it's. Yep, and 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 there's a, a so there's a, at least the same number of interpretations of any sentence as there are numbers of words and uh, and often more so sentence is worth know, a it, thousand ideas or something like that right <laughs> exactly 
Well, I think, too, I was reading something maybe about a year ago that was saying that one of the things that kind of, I don't want to call it brain exercise, but that's one of the hardest things to do is to read out loud to someone because Hmm. you're having to read ahead, as Wayne's saying, so that you're properly interpreting the context of what you read, but you're having to keep your mind also on what you're reading and you know it's it just makes your brain work in a whole lot of ways that reading to yourself doesn't do and yeah, i think it, that's it, 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 i was going to say i think that's why some of the best practice is when you have little children and you begin reading to them at night and Absolutely. as they get older the books you read get more complex and so you get mm-hmm. better at it through general practice and by reading the yep. same things over and over again yeah repeatedly yes <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, it, it 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 really is a, a juggling act because uh, when your mouth is on one sentence, as you said, your eyes are are on the next one, and uh, not only are you thinking of how you're going to say the next thing, depending on what led up to it, but how are you saying the current thing? Mm-hmm. Did your plan change within the last <laughs> microsecond? Uh, also, you're trying to maintain your breath if it's a long sentence, and um, that that can be tough. Yeah, especially and in the older at the same books. time. At the same time, you're listening to yourself so that you can sort of critique yourself on the fly, but you um, you can't be self-conscious because that'll you know that'll put a, a stop to it right there. So yeah. it's you know, those those are just some of the challenges you face. Yeah, and then if you have a string of dialogue between two people and you get mixed up as to who's who, you're you've got to, <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, how did it happen? Uh, that well, well, that's why uh, pre-reading. Is uh, is really uh, kind of important. Uh, I know of a, a lot of narrators, a lot of them whom I admire greatly, who don't do any pre-reads. They just boom, go on the fly. But uh, I don't know. Maybe that's a, a limitation of mine because I always like to read the the entire story at least once first just uh so you could tell where the arc of the story is where is the climax of the story are there mm-hmm. any uh red herrings in there that are trying to send you off mm-hmm. on a rabbit trail so that they can trick you later it it always pays to know those things ahead of time you know it's like um i, I don't know it just pays to prepare you know I, i've uh, uh read one story and sometimes i'll read it out loud uh once without recording it just to you know get a feel for it and um i'm halfway through the thing and then i find out the guy's got an irish accent and (laughs) i haven't been i haven't been using one so you know i'm I'm glad i wasn't recording at that point because it would be back to the drawing yeah exactly uh so do you have any uh memory uh, i mean this uh this book the one that i I have no i have no memories whatsoever no of of recording it (laughs) I grew, I grew up in the 60s. No, I mean of recording this audiobook, The uh, Strange Case <laughs> oh, of, I see, yes. of Dr. Um, Jekyll uh, and Mr. Hyde. Yeah, I, I, it, was, it was great. I try and pick books for audiobook case that are classics. Um, I, I, I'd, I'd like to record them and put them in CD form, even though um, downloads are definitely the wave of the future. Oh, yeah. You can't argue with it. Uh, I, I think certain things are worth having and worth having on your shelf and yes me too thank you to people sometimes (laughs) i like cds yeah so you know i mean i wouldn't have a cd of every audiobook i've ever listened to i have to get one of those rent one of those storage spaces to to (laughs) welcome to my world um, (laughs) 
<laughs> but but uh, but but certain books, uh, audio books, I think you should have uh, a copy of on your shelf so you can revisit it. And that, that that's that's one thing I liked about Jekyll and Hyde is it is a classic, and it's a classic for a reason. Yes, you know it, it addresses mm-hmm. it addresses things that um, that are still relevant today and always will be relevant to you know. To, to human nature, you know the the uh, the dichotomy between good and evil, and uh, uh, civilized and and barbaric uh, elements in your personality, and you know just just so many things that that will last forever, and rightfully so. I mean, it's it's artfully constructed. It is. It's it's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it feels quite a bit different from the other Stevenson stuff I've read, but you can see mm. he's got the same skill uh, he, that he brought to it. And um, what, what, why don't we get start start talking about the book itself? Okay. Um, uh, it's uh, there's a nice um, in this annotated copy of uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. I've got called uh, the Essential Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Um, there's a, a bunch of letters, or uh, sorry, not letters, a bunch of um, uh, maybe reviews or just discussions about the book from other authors. Mm-hmm. And one of them is uh, Kevin J. Anderson, who is an audiobook fan, but uh, this is actually about audiobooks and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, so I thought I'd read part of this here. It said, I first absorbed the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde when I was in the ninth grade. I found it in the high school library in their spoken arts section. Three phonograph albums containing an unabridged reading of the short novel. Of course, nobody else in the school wanted to listen to three albums of someone reading a book, but I checked <laughs> out the old relics and bought them, brought them home, and promptly fell ill with the flu. I remember lying on my bed in the dark, shivering with fear, and listening to the deep-voiced reading telling the gruesome tale at 16 RPM. That made Henry Jekyll's predicament all the more real. It was absolutely the most perfect way to experience the story of, of Jekyll and Hyde. Other readers, however, may not think acquiring the flu is an essential part of reading the book. <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome. Lis- listening to it in a in a feverish delirium. <laughs> it, it, it's it's it basically really the perfect it. way to absorb some of these sort of uh, scary books. I always say, you know, wait until late late night to put on a uh, an H.P. Lovecraft. Um, scare yourself half half to death with every sound outside the door and. And with every uh, every little breeze of the wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, the uh, the, the um, uh, historical analyses or interpretations of uh, of Jekyll and Hyde over the years have uh, have kind of changed. Um, some people have uh, have analyzed it in you know terms of a like the study of an addiction mm-hmm. because. In, in Victorian uh, England, it, 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 at that time, you know, there was uh, a, a temperance movement going yeah, on. Yeah, totally. And it, it was very tied into, um, you know, social behavior and very tied into, uh, you know, religious uh, thought and, and feeling. It's, it's, it's really kind of... I, I tend to gravitate more toward that interpretation. I, I think it's really um, an almost theological work um, as far as the good and evil thing goes. Um, uh, Stevenson himself called it um, a dreadful thing. Um, and it's, uh, it's about 
this damned business of the war in the members. And uh, that, that's a reference to a, a New Testament passage where um, the writer is talking about um, where do... Uh, St. Paul, yeah. Yes, where, where do uh, stripes, stripes arise from? You know, it's because of the, the, the war in the members, the, um, the inner conflict between good and evil. And um, uh, in, in another part in the New Testament, he's talking... Uh, Paul is also talking about uh, being frustrated with with his uh, penchant for doing the wrong thing. You know, yeah. uh, uh, that which I would do, I do not. But that which I would not do, that I do. You know, we're talking talking about that. So real. So yeah. So it it it's really a, a I think a kind of a theological treatise almost uh, in, in causing you to examine yourself. Your own desires, your actions, as opposed to what you think you should do, and um, in well, that and, sense, I, I think it, I, I think it's going to last. You know, it's timeless. It's going to last forever. Yeah, because people are people throughout time. Well, and the thing that I found interesting in listening a second time because I'd heard it once before when I first encountered it a couple of years ago was uh, I had forgotten completely that. And I guess this is going to be spoiler filled. That's okay because it's so old. Yeah, I think I think everybody's. Uh, I mean, I, I knew knows this story before I read it. Secret, okay? Because if you don't know the secret, stop listening. Listen to the book, then come back. Um, <laughs> because I'm just saying. Because the thing that I had forgotten completely is that Doctor Jekyll is not all good. He is still the same person, good and evil. Right. He's, He's the one who makes got, the decision but, to. to Right, Hyde, and Doc, right? but Mr. Hyde is actually the evil part, and he says at one point, it's my own fault. If I had inwardly been inclined toward good, what would have emerged was would have been the good part of me because it was a mirror to what was inside of me. And now I find out that all that previous time of slacking off, not doing the right thing, not really pushing myself, here's my reward, and it's horrible. Yeah. And yeah. so, and- oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that was uh, 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 allegedly Doctor Jekyll's purpose in in uh, concocting his uh, formula was to try and um, try and separate the two so that he could kick out the bad one. But as you were saying, the bad news is, uh, you know, you can't. The badness got the better of him, so to speak. So well, yeah, because it was all bad. Instead of he still was good and bad, and so he still had to fight that battle as well as fighting the other person. And yeah, what it made point. me wonder is because one of the common things that's kind of interesting is Hyde is actually physically different. He's much smaller. Mm-hmm. He, um, although he's much stronger and more vigorous feeling and more kind of a pure feeling of I'm alive. And I kind of it made me wonder if the good had ever come out, would it also have been smaller, although feeling differently and acting differently, because the whole person is made up of both? Because you tend to think of the good is going to be bigger, but is that really the case, or does that you know? I kept I mean, thinking just, it, of him as a homunculus, you know, the the little man inside that steers the the big man, right? And <laughs> and and if that was true, then. If he's just a little bit smaller, rather than you know less than half the size, then that says he's he's you know 
mostly bad. <laughs> that is, Jekyll's yeah. mostly bad. Well, I yep. don't know, because that's maybe the good would have been the same amount since, or, you know, a little smaller than the evil. Because, you know, his clothes were obviously too big. Yes. Yep. That kind of thing. And he could look at his hand and go, oh, no, I woke up. It's dynamite again. Yeah. Well, yeah, in, historically in context, too, I, uh, you know, I could be totally off base on this. But um, also what was going on at the time was um, this this whole uh, new theory of evolution was developing with Rick mm-hmm. Darwin's uh, um uh, evolutional right. theory and uh, people were sort of seeing it as um, uh, you mentioned the term before devolution yeah, kind yeah of like, retrogression like, yeah uh, so uh, in, uh, perhaps Dr. Hyde uh, I mean Mr. Hyde wasn't as evolved because his, his evil, you know, he had, that's entirely you know, a possibility. It's it really the, mm-hmm. the text is open to so much interpretation. You 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 can you know speculate till the cows come home, so, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, I, I I don't I don't see uh, I don't think we we got a lot of evidence of that. But I, I like going back to what you said about um, it being a sort of a theological work. Uh, I think that that's a really interesting um, take on it because. Um, I was reading some of the contemporary reviews, and a lot of the, um, a lot of the the reviews, or at least some of the reviews, uh, they they would be you know in a Christian magazine or something, and and they said although the, although the word of God is only mentioned uh, the word God is only mentioned once <laughs> in this book, we can highly recommend it as a as a you know moral guide to the uh, and that sort of thing, and it's. <laughs> It's not really theological unless you're really quoting a lot of the Bible, right? Well, it, but there are reference. I mean, it is. It is. You know. Uh, I mean, what's the first page has? Um, I. I. Uh, the, the, I'll just grab it. The um, Utterson in describing mm-hmm. himself, he says he subscribes to Cain's heresy. Right? Cain's heresy mm-hmm. is I am not my brother's keeper. I would assume, and um, mm, and okay. and. Uh, Let's talk about Utterson for a while because I love the I love the opening of the book. I think it's I think it's it's wonderful. Well, and people tend to forget he's telling the story. Pretty much, yeah. pretty much. I, because, I I think you know you can sort of I mean well, the endings is not exactly him telling the story, right, but, but it's he's the because he's kind of it's seen through his eyes. Yes, at it's, least. it's very he's tight. The person, person, he's the norm yeah. who everything is kind of judged against, mm-hmm. basically to me. Mm-hmm. So, um, and uh, that gives you an advantage too, um, as a reader or as a listener, when when an author um, often chooses a first person narration as opposed to third person narration, you're limited to what the character knows. Um, mm-hmm. he, he can't tell you anything that he does not know, but uh, by using first person, but from uh, a sideline character rather than Dr. Jekyll himself, uh, Utterson can, can sort of see around corners and anticipate what's going to be happening that if Jekyll was telling the story, he wouldn't necessarily have that information. You know, So it's a, it's a kind of a, a very interesting and kind of a convoluted way to, to get the story across by telling it from a, a first-person uh, narration, but from someone else's point of view, other than the the main character. 
Yeah, because you get the slow reveal if you don't know the story uh, because he's got all these various acquaintances because they all travel in the same social circles. Yep. yep. So he has his nephew and his friend and all these people coming and giving him new pieces of information. Um, I've been told that the the op- or I read, I guess, that the opening is is sort of a deliberate um, Dickensian style. Um you know, and I, I got that feeling from it right away uh, as I was as I was listening to it. You know, it's it's got a, a, a sort of a lush, uh, languorous description of 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 the man and how he likes to handle himself, um, mm-hmm. and 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 yet um, apparently he was also in correspondence with um, Henry James. And I kind of mm-hmm. see a lot of, I mean, a lot of what James does in The Turn of the Screw is, is in, the, in the same way here. I mean, think, think, of, think about what Hyde does that's actually evil. And mm-hmm. the way I was thinking about it is he's not, it's, he's not so much evil in the things that he does. I mean, he, as he is callous and uncaring. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he—it's it, very vague what he does. Uh, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think well, that—that—that—that's been people have called called the the text at times frustratingly vague because he doesn't say exactly what he did, but that they were just you know horrible, revolting, terrible. Yeah, but acts. they could be uh, you know they could be drinking. I, I don't know. Well, killing the two people was definitely I agree horrible, <laughs> callous, and evil. Because it's just so, un, you know, it's just at a whim. But the, um, but the other things were. I, I feel like doing that. But, too, my, so. but you <laughs> also, <laughs> but you don't because you're good and evil. Uh, but the debaucheries, um, I know that some people had uh, speculated because his wife always read and wrote in the margins that she'd had him take out the specifics. But I don't really know why but i like that it's left that way because each of us has our own problem areas that we're inclined to that we have to fight exactly and uh, that that enables you you to you to appreciate it and uh and feel it right in in your way while i can feel it uh relating to you know my my Uh weaknesses or my debaucheries and uh matter of fact in uh it the the word obscene I read somewhere uh, comes from um, Greek plays and Greek tragedies where if something really horrible was happening, like you know if someone was getting stabbed or you know just some really horrible thing was happening, they would they would they would suggest it. It would be implicit. It wouldn't mm. be it wouldn't be on scene. It would be obscene. It would be off scene. Right. Oh, okay, that, that, that Got totally it. makes sense. So, so yeah. it shouldn't be something that shouldn't be shown. Yeah, you know, I mean, I guess there's a place for, um, you know, slasher movies and all that. I don't particularly care for them, but I'd rather much have, much rather have my horror as something that I truly think is uh, is is horrible, but not just you know gross, not just for the lurid for the sake of being horrible. You know what I yes. mean? Yes. Yes. It's very I, I, much I, I, like Lovecraft much have, in that sense. I mean, Lovecraft doesn't yeah. describe any of the. It's it's just so horrible. It's, you can't believe how horrible. It's so unspeakably horrible. 
How horrible! You've seen colors. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah it's exactly. the most disgusting shade of gray you've ever seen. You can't imagine well, it's gray. Just, well, let's <laughs> just face it. I mean, you know this like this modern trend for on TV shows and stuff. Now you have to see the person vomiting. I really don't. Okay. Yeah, you're right. You know, just show them wiping their mouth as they come away from somewhere. I got it. Yeah. You know. Yep. And 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 often, uh, you know, that's that's kind of the failure of, of some of the. The, the cheaper uh, B-movie slasher movies is that uh, what they've actually put on the screen probably isn't as horrible as, as my imagination would make it. You know, so they're, they're, they're probably uh, doing themselves a disservice because if they left it to my imagination, I, like you were saying before, I, I would be interpreting it by my own um, uh, interpretation of horrible or gross or uh, mm-hmm. disturbing you know mm-hmm. rather than rather than seeing someone else's interpretation one of, of the stories i do with my my students is uh the statement of randolph carter which is uh, a very very short lovecraft story and it's it's a two men go off into some hidden uh graveyard and and uh, open up a tomb and one of them climbs down oh, yeah. with a telephone a, a, a wired telephone and describes what he sees down there, and 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 then suddenly something terrible happens down there, and he says, "Oh, you can't imagine it." And 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 then after the that story, I say, "So so what happened to uh, to that friend of Mr. Randolph Carter's down there?" And and they all talk about it, and then and I said, oh, "What does he actually say?" Right? And then we look at the t- the lines where he says, it, "There's there's many of them, right?" And he said, oh, "What are they?" And he said. Oh, they're demons. They're ghosts, right? They're all interpreting it in a different way. But um, mm-hmm. it's 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 because you don't know. I mean, if you had a photograph, this is why it doesn't work as a film, <laughs> right? If you have a photograph of what's going on down there, it's it's not going to be right. as interesting as whatever's going on in your head and whatever's going on in the head of Randolph Carter. Yeah, I mean, uh, talking of uh, of that type of situation in movies. Uh, uh, I don't know if you remember the uh, classic science fiction movie. You probably do from the fifties, uh, The Thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. You almost never saw The Thing. It would, it would just appear for an instant. And I remember, you know, when I was a kid, seeing that it was so scary. You know, it was much more scary than if they had shown a full-on, full frontal horror uh-huh. of <laughs> of of The Thing, because it was just. You know, there was there was that air of uh, of doubt and mystery, and you just don't know, and you know, fear of the unknown, and you know, it's. I, I just thought that was a, a a marvelous way to do it. I'm not aware of any other horror movie that actually employed that tactic. Well, Jaws, on, I guess, on, is on the one people like talk that. about. You know, you don't see the shark very much until I guess the end, but. Um, I, I, I agree. In movies don't tend to do this very well. But I, I've, I've one of the things I watched uh, in preparation for our podcast here is is uh, uh, an old VHS copy of the uh, Michael Caine Cheryl Ladd version of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Hmm. And Michael oh, I, Michael Caine's <laughs> terrific, right? So he's a terrific actor, uh, and he he makes a good <laughs> Jekyll and Hyde. But the problem is, it, it, you you really can't do Hyde on film. Every yeah. description of Hyde, other than his stature, is that he's deformed, but not in a way you can describe. 
Yeah, I can't describe it, but he's something was wrong. Something, yeah, yeah, but in this in this one, I mean, he looks like he looks like a burn victim who's who's uh, hmm. you know giant. He's bigger, right? They, they always make him bigger because then he's scarier. But in the yeah. in the actual story, you know, he's he's smaller. He's smaller, yeah. um, and and also, I mean, think of the the scene where we first find out in the story of the door. Um, he's not a monster in the sense that he's a he's a, uh, a, uh, a you know raging creature like the Hulk, right? Yeah, he's right. A perfectly normal guy walking down the street. He's completely, um, uh, completely. Uh, I, I was saying this to one of my students the other day. It's it's talk about the difference between um, uh, being doing good and not doing evil. The difference is um, he sees a. A kid gets in his way and he steps on it, right? He, he, he pushes the kid out of the way because um, that's he just doesn't care. He has no feeling uh, for that other person. A person who's doing good would prevent that. A person who's doing uh, his kind of evil, that is no, no, um, I mean, he doesn't really seem to have the evil in the sense that he's, he's not Jack the Ripper, right? He's he's right. he's someone who who's only selfish. He only cares about himself. And so when he's faced with a situation of of you know having his life ruined, um, he he'll just pay money to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah, at the beginning, but and then when he later with Mister Carew, it's he's progressed. Well, he, that guy gone in his way too, right? He he did he he, he just came he, up to him and asked him a question. I think. Yeah, but I don't. I did the letter say I didn't care about him. He just was like, I just did it to see what it was like uh, or something. I thought I think, uh, maybe, maybe I've, I've forgotten now. Let me see. Uh, Cause you got, I knew the little girl just ran into him cause they met each other at a corner. And he just kind of trampled her down. Yeah. yeah. But the Mr. Carew, I mean, the person who was the watching MP, from yeah. the window said he just asked for directions yeah. or something and he, and everybody knew what a great guy he was and he just yeah. like beats him to death. Uh, but that's exactly like he just came up. But that's him. not, and this, yeah, but it's not the same thing as, oh, you got in my way, so I trampled it's you. Very, it's, it's very similar in the, in the, in yeah. the, I mean, he didn't go hunting for Carew, right? Right. Carew yeah, came he, to him. He also didn't have, and he, he got in his way. But uh, what, uh, what we're seeing though is, is that it's, it's, we find what he's doing terrible, and I totally get that. But from his perspective, um, oh, here's something I could do. It's like a cat playing with a mouse, right? Well, he mentions it in the letter, and I can't remember now anymore. Oh, well. I just remember that Jekyll says something in the letter about how he treats him then. And, I and he, does was... enjoy, he does enjoy it. He, he, yeah. he beats Whereas before it was, you're right, more of a callous. You're just in my way, and who cares? Well, they, I think they're, I think no, they're related. I think they're related. It's, it's that. Yeah, I, I think there's, um, there, there's a, a very big uh, center of the whole concept of evil, in in that it's self-centered. It's all yes. about yes, yes, you know, and pride. Whether, yeah, whether whether I actively go out and jack the ripper eyes someone because it. Uh, 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 makes me happy, or whether I just am so callous and so um, sociopathic that I don't regard other people as being 
They're objects in your entities. way. They're objects in your exactly. way and your playthings, and that that is you know so the banality of evil is that, it, that it's it's not it's not uh, foaming at the mouth and enjoying you know terrorizing people like as is seen in most of these you know kind of uh, depictions of a modern evil character. It's mm-hmm. more of a it's more of a I mean, what 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 Hi- what Jekyll likes about Hyde is that he's he's free, and in in exactly so it, it makes it sort of um, you know you can if you're a Mister Hyde you can look at yourself and say I don't care uh, what other people think well, of me. Yeah, and and Doctor Jekyll can can say well you know uh, he, he's he's not actively evil he's just self involved uh, and and it it. In reading that or in hearing that, um, the the reader can can sort of say, "Well, you know, I, maybe I should examine myself. You know, I'm exactly. not Jack the Ripper. I'm not Charles Manson, but you know, uh, it, it is an aspect of evil just to be totally self involved. You know, so it, it kind of leads to to." to to introspection and self-analysis, and I think that's one of the great things about it. You know, it's 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 every man's opportunity to recognize the evil in themselves. So, uh, I, well, yeah, because when Hyde or when Jekyll becomes Hyde, the thing that one of the things that surprises him is he feels so comfortable. Yes, he mm-hmm. feels much more normal than when he's his own self fighting against whatever impulses. You know. Yeah, no boundaries. Right, which I thought was an interesting point. Yeah, it, it's all me. It's all, you know, I can do anything I want. You know, I, and well, matter of fact, uh, we're talking about the, the 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 one interpretation of it being sort of a a study of addiction mm-hmm. and uh, relating to, to temperance and alcohol. He, mm-hmm. he in his first uh, transformation, he actually compares it to uh, uh, a feeling like wine. You know, it's uh, uh, mm-hmm. he, he compares it to like an intoxication, yeah, suppression so. of the inhibitions. Yeah, but uh, I mean, in the in the setting aside the the murder and a half that we get in the in the in the book, um, <laughs> yes, back to that. <laughs> if if we set that aside and we and we say what what is it he's doing and all these things, I mean, it, it's it's Victorian. It's Victorian morals. Who knows what uh, you know? They they found utterly horrible that we find you know oh that's that's just modern society so um i mean if you looked at it uh i don't know under a queer uh uh what's the queer theory you you said what well he's obviously a repressed homosexual you could say Mm -hmm. and what is he doing he's he's going out and having romantic affairs with men um that's entirely possible because the text is so vague um and and I would say in that case, well, uh, I don't think he should be beating people up, but I have no problem with him. Uh, if, if, that's, if he feels like you know, he's his true self, then fine by me. But, I, mm-hmm. but with the drinking, you know, with it as a, a drinking thing, this really is, uh, I mean, it's a, a, right at the time where we've got these ideas of devolution, right, which is not really uh, related to... It's it's funny you mentioned earlier uh, about Darwin and um, and evolution. Um, Darwin didn't invent evolution; he invented natural selection, or 
came up right. with the idea of natural selection. Evolution, the idea had been around for a long time, and and the problem with the difference between evolution and natural selection is there is no ladder in natural selection. There is only branches, branches away from something, or branches, uh, you know, convergent evolution. Right? There's there's no there's no progression. There is only change, and um, it, it, there is there is a way to to talk about uh, progression if you're you know you're looking at the grand scale, but that's just developing you know sense organs or uh, such such things. But they can be uh, the, the system is so robust, right? The the uh, genetic system is so robust it can drop things and add things incredibly quickly. Yeah. And so, and the, the, that was kind of that was kind of a a, a big concern at that time, exactly. Um, as well, I mean the uh, the the whole field of you know evolutionary biology has uh, consequences for um, the understanding of, of human behavior. You know, so I mean it was kind of uh, upsetting uh, to think that uh, well, if, if this stuff is all true, where is our free will? You know, it's uh, um, are are we devolving as a species? Is this like an inevitable thing where we're just going to get worse and worse? Because what, of course, what they wanted uh, that that whole century was, you know, notorious notoriously optimistic. Everything is getting better. Uh, we're learning more and more every day. Science is becoming. Uh, you know, m- more informed and and uh, it was just an idea of sort of a natural progression in in evolution, and and what this was doing was sort of challenging that in 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 saying, well, maybe things are changing, but they aren't necessarily getting better. So it, it's um it's 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 a it's a fascinating book because it is so cryptic, um, and allowing you to. Think about so many, you know, you know what what you bring to it's what you bring to it that makes it uh, all the more interesting. I think, uh, and Absolutely. and that's why when you see an interpretation um, uh, in a movie form, I guess is usually how it how it's interpreted, or even I guess in comic books, the the comic book version of um, uh, Mr. Hyde in in um, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen that that has him much. Much larger and much more like the, uh, the Incredible Hulk, um, in right. the sense that he's incredibly, incredibly strong, and um, and you know he bursts out of his clothes. It, it, oh yeah, it's 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 kind of the opposite. But um, thinking about it, I mean, the Incredible Hulk is basically a ripoff of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Uh, Doctor David Banner um, <laughs> exposed to radiation. Now when you you know he, he gets yeah. upset. I mean, in the in the book, we we get the idea that Hyde is is something that he can choose he can choose to do, but also something that is almost out of his control as well. Yeah. And well, the longer he goes, because the more as the evil yeah, is allowed to have full play. Yes. Yeah, the, and I was reading somewhere also this was uh, taken as a source for Two Face. Yeah, you can see that as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, actually, there's a, a wonderful. Uh, speaking of Two Face, there's a, a wonderful. Um, let's see if I can find it here. Um, uh, description, yeah, by Brad Strickland, who's a audio dramatist um, 
for I think the Atlanta Radio Theater Company. And um, oh. this is this is I thought this was really interesting. Let me read you uh, part of it here. It says, um, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is about doubles, two men who are one man. However, the doubling, the duplicity, goes astonishingly far beyond the title character. The praiseworthy Utterson takes vicarious pleasure from the friendship with downgoing men, his own Mr. Hyde's. Every major scene in the story features two contrasting men. Duplicity invades the inanimate. The sinister Hyde door has its counterpart in the respectable Jekyll door. The white salt exists in two states, the harmless pure form and the sinister tainted form. Stevenson, has doubles, uh, Stevenson even doubles his work with that of other writers. Opening, uh, the opening of Dickens' Bleak House is reflected in Utterson's and Newcomen's journey mm-hmm. through the fog and quest of, of Hyde. The opening description of Utterson echoes that of Ebenezer Scrooge. Utterson's dream of Hyde, the opening description of Utterson, echoes that of Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh, that line's repeated. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, the sentence is repeated twice, and the, uh, the line is repeated twice in the text. Utter, Utterson's dream of Hyde parting Jekyll's bed curtains mirrors that of the central dream in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And the doubling continues outside the book's covers. The tale grew from true dreams. Stevenson wrote the book twice, burning the first draft. Two eyewitness accounts of the burning differ in detail. Two partial manuscripts of the revised version survive. Two multiplies, two multiply twos in infinity, resulting in what is, in what Jekyll feared as mere polity, and dissolution. That has happened with differing interpretations of the story. Um, and then he goes on to talk about uh, Marxist and feminist um, uh, critiques of of the novel. As you know, what does it mean? It's, uh, it's a it's the petty bourgeoisie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they kind of got into that on Craftlit because I listened to that with Heather Ordover's commentary to prepare for this, and um, of course, since it's mostly women that listen to that, she was that question came up. How come there are no women in it? So that's I guess kind of the feminist thing. But she's like, you know, the thing is, is that women will have a softening effect on stuff and they'll point things out and talk to you about it and it was really necessary for dr jekyll that he's alone he's not fighting this fight with somebody else's help uh, that's that's an interesting point i thought that was kind of interesting and she said also interesting is that the movies cannot resist putting a woman absolutely absolutely so (laughs) to good effect uh the, the the one i mentioned the the michael Caine cheryl ladd version has a nice twist mm-hmm. at the end that that is not in in the book um you know uh, if you if you if you can't be original uh, you know you can't do something original then at least add a little something to it and and they do do that and the what they you know what they do with the plot is actually pretty good um even though you know it, it is not the it is not the yeah. book um interestingly though i think like i was saying you know the visual medium cannot do hide um, the audio drama version I heard, uh, the BBC version, is fine. Um, you know, they they don't have to show a picture of him. You know, they don't have to mm-hmm. describe his his warts or whatever whatever makes him morally unacceptable in in his ugliness. Um, they can just just use the text and right. and and then he, we hear his voice um, in those scenes that are are so famous. But um, it's also kind of odd that. The way the story is structured in the novel, or novella, I guess, uh, is that 
it, it jumps back and forth in time. And you can't mm-hmm. do that in a straight in a straight movie without utterly con- and, and shifting point of view and and so they they tend to start the story before the story hap- you know before the story began and then they tend to end it in in a different way um, something like that yeah because there's no there's not the book is left for each reader to ponder at the end. It's not like, and then this was the end, and here's the moral. Dust your hands off, close it, and go away. So the movies movies don't do that. Although it's interesting because when you're saying that, I was just thinking about movies portrayal versus books, and I just finally recently watched Let the Right One In. Oh, yeah. That's a new one. And um, because the director, I found out much later, left it, deliberately ambiguous about some points that the book spells out very clearly, I was then free to look at it and say, wow, I have rarely seen such an excellent portrayal of complete evil and kind of that glamorizes it in a, in the old fashioned glamor of a, like a vampire <laughs> way that makes you, I know this person's bad, but I want them to succeed. No, no, I shouldn't. I shouldn't. Cause it's bad. They're terrible. And yep. All three of us who were watching it were fighting the same fight, and it was such a good depiction that way that when I found out there was more in the book, I was really disappointed because it – and the book may be excellent. I don't know. Um, but it just – to me, it made the story smaller. It mm-hmm. made it less applicable to more people and more situations and more things that you might encounter. And so to me, that was a case where not having read the book, of course, it the movie opened it up. And here, of course, as you're pointing out, the movies necessarily are making the story a little smaller to convey their view of what the book is talking about. So just an interesting dichotomy of the opposite that I experienced recently. Yep. Doubling it again. Um, <laughs> as to, keep it, keep it as to the names, uh, the character names, um, I, I, I've got ideas about uh, at least a couple of them. Um, Pool. I don't know much. You know, he's the butler. It's probably a butler name, right? I guess he's the butler, right? Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know. It doesn't mean anything to me. Mister Utterson, utter is to utter is to say, um, and he's mm-hmm. the guy who tells the story. So that that sort of fits, right? Um, but uh, Newcomen is the is the uh, Scotland Yard detective or the the uh, yeah the inspector. Um, New, uh, Newcomen mm-hmm. is um, is the name of the first the guy who created the first steam engine um, oh, in Scotland oh, and uh, and what's his, uh, very modern yeah Stevenson is from well it's actually a, 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 like a hundred years prior but um, uh, Steve, yeah, but Stevenson's from Scotland and, and Newcomen's uh, working up there so um, yeah. I thought that, that he you know he's sort of representing. The modern investigation or something. I, I'm not. I'm not sure really mm. how it worked, but it, that was sort of a random name. Now, as to Jekyll and Hyde. Well, see, that's what I wondered because I was like, Hyde's obvious, but Jekyll does that mean something? Yeah, I didn't. Well, I, I read one. I read one one interpretation where, um, and I don't know how much credence to lend this, but uh, the the way you say I mm-hmm. in French is. J E J, and so what Stevenson was trying to 
get across oh, there uh, subconsciously kill. was I kill. I, he, kill. He, because he That's wanted to kill Hyde. He wanted to eliminate the bad. So... Uh, I, you know, I don't know how much credence to lend that. But it sounds it sounds good, right? It, it, I liked it. <laughs> uh, I uh, when I hear it, I think I think jackal, right? Like the animal. Oh, and, interesting. And it it sort mm-hmm. of fits. It's not exactly right, um, but uh, one of the letters or the uh, descriptions in this book um, has a a little reminiscence by Forrest J. Ackerman, and Forrest J. Ackerman uh, he ends his his. Um, his bit, uh, he says, I don't know whether it is known if the author had a preferred pronunciation in mind for uh, Jekyll, but in the definitive version of 1932, he was called, fittingly, Geekle. <laughs> and then he, he, he signs it, Forrest J. Jekyll Ackerman. Uh, <laughs> um, and I, I was trying to find out if that's actually, he was just joking, but um, people say his, his middle name was James. Um, uh, as in Forrest James Ackerman, but it doesn't say on the Wikipedia entry. So it might be that it's a, he actually is named after uh, uh, Geekle, as in he's a geek, I guess. Geekle. Wow. They didn't have that word back then, though. Uh, <laughs> he, he, I, I think that's why he's playing. But um, um, it's entirely possible he was he was uh, pronounced. Um, uh, uh, no, his middle name was Jekyll. Um, well, how would the Scot or English pronounce that? Because that's, you know, Scottish. Jekyll. He was Scottish. Because yeah. I, I know that people in that duality have also talked about Edinburgh. You yep. know, there's the old horrible slummy part and the, and the new city. Mm-hmm. And so there was that. And especially at the time he was writing, there was a lot of depravity and horrible living in the old part. Yeah, well, everybody in the new part just kind of ignored it because these were Victorian times, and yeah, and there, there was sort of that same uh, thing going on with uh, the the place where um, Mister Hyde had his apartment, mm-hmm. which was in Soho, which mm-hmm. at, at at that time was um, you know that that CD? was the the wrong side of the tracks. Yeah, yeah. Did y'all read about how this was written? I mean, I, I of course went to Wikipedia, so this may not be exact, but um, it's his wife said she woke him up from a nap mm-hmm. because he was making these horrible cries, and he's like, "Why did you wake me? I was having dreaming a fine bogey yeah, tale." Yeah, that's right. That's what it <laughs> says in the book. That was the first here, transformation she had awakened him at, and then the uh, stepson said he didn't think anybody had ever written a book like that so fast. He just would run downstairs as if in a fever, read yeah, half the book aloud. he wrote it in three days, he said. Yeah, run back upstairs and write some more, and largely fueled by cocaine, evidently. <laughs> Which Osborne says, the mere physical feat was tremendous, and instead of harming him, it roused and cheered him inexpressibly. Which I found hilarious, considering that drugs are the cause of Jekyll's downfall. Well, you you also uh, have to remember this is this is the 19th well, century, yes, and they they, they don't. It. It's not illegal. It's not. It's like having a cup of coffee. Yeah. Well, um, or a cup of Coca Cola. <laughs> well, yeah, at the time, yes. Um, yeah. But um, then and they cocaine said, has has been proven to rouse and cheer you. It is. So. <laughs> it is. Not that I'm endorsing it. It, it has but. medical uses, and you also have to remember. I mean, for him to yeah. run up and down anywhere is pretty impressive, given he's. Uh, he basically only has one lung. He, Stevenson is very oh, unhealthy yeah. man. 
and died very that's young. Right. Um, that's because that's why he traveled. Yes, he traveled. I forgot. To but that's also fun. maybe why this book is so different from, you know, Kidnapped or Treasure Island, which are adventure stories. They're fine stories and very good, but not the same sort of thing as this at well, all. Well, there is one story that I, I discovered prior to prior to reading Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and that's um, Markheim, which I quite, quite yeah. enjoyed. The, the, um, there's a reading on LibriVox by um, uh, one of our previous guests, and he, he does a fine interpretation of this story. And it, 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 is, um, uh, the, it is very moralistic in the sense that it, it or at least uh, the, theological, in the sense that it has uh, sort of uh, the incarnation of the devil, perhaps, in it. And, mm-hmm. Or an angel, depending on your your interpretation. And I guess the devil is an angel, really. But <laughs> anyways, yes, a fallen right. angel. Um, <laughs> a very it, it is angel. it is a a nice companion piece to um, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, and, and is entirely readable. Very very short story. Um, so you could you could check that one out. To I'm going to look for yeah, that. It's a it's a nice comparison. Um, but I, I, I just, I think this is a book I'm going to have to read again, um, and I don't like to. I don't like to read books again because I find them, you know, I don't get as much the second time through. And usually, it, 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 I think it depends on how much time you allow in between. Because yeah. uh, you know, right. the first time I read Doctor Jekyll, you know, I, I think I was probably uh, eleven or twelve, and uh, it it meant one thing to me then. Uh, it meant still something different in my twenties. And now that I'm in my fifties, I see a still different story underlying the whole thing. Uh, you know, when I was younger, I never would have imagined it's something that I should try and apply to myself as, as examining my own penchant for breaking my own rules. And Mm -hmm. is that a part of human nature and, you know, uh, but you know, maybe I'll have a totally different interpretation when I'm seventy. Should I live that long? But uh, you know, reading it too close together, you know, it's like watching a rerun the next week of a TV show. But if you let some time yeah. pass after you've aged and after your worldview has changed, you know, it can inform inform you differently i think i i i think but a lot of a lot of stuff doesn't bear rereading just because it's it's so yes. you know transitory that, and, not enough to it yeah but that is but true. i think this one is is the exception in that it it has all these interpretations that you can bring to it and once you've read it through you can you can go back with you know some some preconception of what it it was and then find new things because it is so yeah it's it is so in, subject to interpretation exactly. and it's so short well, and it, so you can probably do it in a long afternoon well mm-hmm. and that works even for books that aren't necessarily this open to interpretation cuz recently i reread jane eyre mm-hmm. and i hadn't read that since i was in college or maybe early 20s but it was it was such a much richer book than I remembered because I now read differently than I used to. And, of course, I, as you say, different worldview, different person, or more evolved or whatever. But, um, yeah, it was and completely enjoyable. And there were a lot of parts I'd forgotten. Well, I remember the big stuff. I, uh, my niece was um, wanted to buy it yesterday. 
Jane Eyre. And I said, I said, $10? We can get this for free on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's nothing like having an actual book in your hands that's really good. I totally get that. But the the $5 version they also had in stock, they couldn't find it. So we're, we're going to wait. We're going to wait a little bit. Um, (laughs) It it had a cover that looked like Twilight. I think that was the, oh, the, the key ugh, thing that please. well, a yeah, black cover with like a candle on it, and it looked you know probably the same font as the Twilight font. And I said, okay. read the first couple of pages if you like it, then we'll consider getting it. Um, and she yeah. she seemed to like it, so um, I was thinking though yeah. maybe I can get you to do our our uh, review of Jane Slayer, the uh, the <laughs> vampire version, the remix no, version. I'm- Maybe. I'm not a big fan of those kind of books. And uh, although I know that's hilarious, considering I was like, oh, can you send me the Charlie Houston book and the mm-hmm. Alton Bell book? No, or I, 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 can't, I can't force you to do it. And I wouldn't want you but, to do it if you don't want but, to. But if you are interested, I've got Jane Slayer. Yeah. I'm just, I'll think about it. But but I have to say, um, a book I would recommend to both of you, because I'd be so curious to hear what you think of it. And a book that's open to interpretation while it's kind of telling you what's going on is The Reapers Are the Angels. Oh, that's the one you're doing for us. Which I just finished yesterday because I just was like, I have to finish this. But it was it's one of those that when I read the reviews on Amazon to see what other people were thinking after I'd finished it, they were saying there's almost no punctuation for – and I was like, oh, I'm so glad I Mm. listened to it. But it – is one of those books that I'm just like, oh, this is what I'm going to read again and again. It says it's a zombie book, but zombies are not the point. Zombies are hardly even there, even though they're everywhere. It's a most extraordinary book, I think. Mm. And it's the same way as people probably felt after reading Jekyll and Hyde, where it's like, I just discovered this amazing book. It's going to make me think for a long time. Um, And Jane Eyre is the same kind of book on a different level. Certainly, I would recommend it to any young lady. <laughs> I will. I will. Over the Twilight all right, books. All right. I'll, I'll have to get it for her. Yes. Um, but uh, I, I just finished. Anyway, I, sorry. I, I, I took this off. Track. No, it's okay because I, I, I think we're, we're closing in on, on uh, unless you want to do a separate podcast on talking about zombie books. Um, <laughs> no, but I have some vampire books well, that are really well, good, the same too. Thing. Vampire zombies. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Um, yeah. Uh, I just finished the... Um, uh, a review of uh, a zombie book that um, I actually had been writing about uh, if I had a uh, an urban fantasy name, and I think I wanted to ask you to to choose one. It, urban, if I'm an urban fantasy writer, yeah, it was with the it, with with Alden Bell is not that's the author of the Reapers or the Angels. That's not mm-hmm. that's not his or her real name. It's a guy who's written another book. And I read the description of that book and went, wow, I really don't like this kind of book at all, but I'm so glad he wrote this other book. <laughs> um, so with The Reapers of the Angels, uh, he he said um, – it's a he, right? What's it? Yeah. It? I can't remember his real name. Yeah. And then yeah. – oh, oh uh, Joshua Gaylord. Justin something. Joshua Gaylord. Oh, okay. Which That's also right. sounds like a pseudonym. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, Alden Bell, I, I looked it up. Alden is a – a, a gender neutral name meaning good friend could be uh, oh. either uh, male or female. And Bell um, makes it sound like, I don't know, Bell of the South. I don't know. Like, well, 
Yeah, and the reason I picked that book was uh, the only reason I was interested is com- somebody had said it's like Flannery O'Connor does a zombie story, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, uh huh. As if, since I'm recently <laughs> really into Flannery O'Connor, I'm like, I'm going to stick up for it. And I got done, and I went, wow, I I don't know if I'd use that description, but it's not bad. Oh, really? It's really? Um, oh, it's it's. I'm trying to think how I'm going to write this without giving things away because it sounds like a standard post-apocalyptic story, but it's some of the writing is so lyrical, it's unbelievable. And this young girl who's this 15-year-old girl who's never known anything but this post-apocalyptic landscape is a most extraordinary thinker. I mean, it's just a very unusual book, and I'm trying to think how to describe it. Is it told first person? No, but a lot most, no, but it's the way Jekyll and Hyde is told through Utterson's Mm -hmm. eyes generally. The entire book. I mean, it really is told through her eyes, although sometimes the third person will pull away and kind of offer a description. And that's um, present tense, which I usually dislike, but this narrator was so excellent that it just worked. Everything worked. Um, well, I'm sold. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, I'm going to recommend it's an SFF essential. Wow. Because, yeah, it's it's better to me. It's more interesting and better than a Salmon Darjeeling, which you know I yeah, loved. That's amazing. Great I, book, You gave that an different. essential too, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. So, that's but impressive. this is this is the most. Uh, it's I would, and I'm dying to talk to somebody about it who could help me. You know, sometimes you have to talk about these things to ha- actually kind of find your way through the story. Some. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I really desperately need to talk uh, to somebody about this. Did you post uh, anything to Goodreads about it yet? No, because, well, I just put a little basic description because I'm waiting to do the review for SFF and then I'll okay. put something there and send them to you also. Well, I, I, uh, I, I, was, I was saying, uh, before we end, I want to I talk about this yeah. uh, because this is r- right on, in the post about the Reapers are the Angels is, is because he's chosen this, this sort of female-sounding name, a little bit female-sounding name. I thought it was yeah, because yeah. It, was, it was urban fantasy, yet it's set in the South and it's not in this, you know. It's yeah, it's not, I wouldn't call it urban fantasy. I call it post-apocalyptic or apocalyptic or yeah, something. Yeah, it's just, it fits in that sort of genre yeah. thing, right? So, and, yeah. and zombies, I mean, zombies have never been more popular in fiction wow, than yeah. now. Um, so I was saying, um, I was saying if, if I was a, uh, uh, urban fantasy author, I would, oh, yeah. I would name myself Jay Crown. Because uh, what you do is you 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 take I don't know your first initial or something and then and then you give a short uh, object name, so a mm-hmm. noun like a bell or a crown or some you know like um, I don't know J- John microphone or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, the microphone maybe not such a great one, but you know Stephen King is is a uh, you know King is a nice noun name, and um, right. Uh, and then after that, you have to c- come up with a, a fancy title like "The Reapers Are the Angels." That sounds great, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I I said, uh, well, I'm going to send this book to Julie, "The Reapers Are the Angels," and I'll do the other zombie book, which which is uh, I just did a review for. It's called "The Loving Dead," and that one sounded kind of okay. interesting because it the author she said in an interview on a podcast she said um, I always loved how in movies, zombies—they don't matter. They don't mind if you're you're ugly or pretty. They they just want to 
<laughs> they just want to really, you know, get close to you. And they're like, oh, yeah. That's <laughs> super close. Yeah. yeah. And so she, her, her premise was that there, it's a, it's a, zombieism is a sexually transmitted disease. And so the zombies are hypersexualized, right? Ooh. Which is, yeah, it's, it's kind of a weird idea. And, and she said it with a dead person. Yeah. Mm. The, in, in her book, they're not dead. They're, they're just, oh. Past, are they also, they're not then mindless? Yeah, they are mindless. Uh, they're mindless. Oh, then ooh again. Yeah. Yeah, they're mindless, sexualized yeah. creatures. And, and okay. I've, I've, I've played in bands with people like that. <laughs> uh, so um, I was writing about your book before I read this one. And I said, if, my, if I was an urban fantasy writer, I'd, I'd, have, I'd write a book called A is for Aerostat, Z is for Zombie. Uh, and and you know you take two popular things airships and zombies you put them together um, there's a book series for you right and yeah. and and yet I started re- right after that I started reading the uh, the the one I'm going to do the the Loving Dead and guess what mm-hmm. it has in it zombies and it has a zeppelin oh yeah my idea was stolen Ooh. so. <laughs> If, here's the question now. If you were an urban fantasy author, you were, you were going to write a book about urban fantasy, presumably it's going to be uh, zombies or vampires or werewolves or something like that. What would your, what would your two, you know, two things that you would bring together, the setting, the, the, the kind of monster, the twist, and, mm-hmm. and what would your urban fantasy name be? Oh my gosh! On the spot. Yeah, Wayne. Wayne <laughs> if you were an urban. Hello, hello. Can't, is this thing on? Hello. I'm <laughs> suffering a zombie uh, attack. I'm look, asleep I like now. Zombies. I like zombies because they're they're at least uh, they make a little bit more sense in the science department than do werewolves, which you know transmogrification uh, is highly energy intensive and shouldn't mm-hmm. take. You know, it shouldn't be done in the sh- in the space of you know twenty four hours on a large a- animal of that kind, right? So humans turning into werewolves seems kind of not sciencey, right? Uh, whereas zombie infections, I mean, there are there are uh, lots of insects that uh, reproduce by um, by zombifying other insects, and, and mm-hmm. that that seems a lot more realistic to me, anyways. Um, and, and vampires, okay, I get vampire bats, but I don't get, uh, all the, you know, the garlic and the, and, uh, you, I can't come in unless you let, you know, say the magic words and all the, all the stuff that goes with vampires is, is, is too fantasy based for me. So if I was going to do an urban fantasy, it would have to have, uh, zombies and it would have to have airships cause I just love airships. So what, what would your logic be? You're stumping I, me. I'm, well, I'm, I would have to. I'm thinking. I, while you were saying that, I was thinking. I my favorite urban fantasies are early Charles Delint, mm-hmm. Emma Bull, and um, to a lesser degree, although I don't really call them urban fantasies much, but like Jim Butcher, mm-hmm. the early Harry Dresden, more. See, there's and, a nice so thinking, urban fantasy named Butcher, right? Yeah, yeah there you oh, go. That's good. Yep. But um, I'm thinking. And, you know, then there's um, Neverwhere, Mm -hmm. which, of course, you know, duh. And so I'm thinking, you know, how I always like to see underneath things, 
especially, you know, the whole Catholic thing going on. I can't help it. So I'm like, I like that idea of there's another world existing with ours that you can't really see until you're properly oriented Mm -hmm, to it. Whether it's, it doesn't necessarily, but you know, and with some kind of, maybe people used to call them fairies, or maybe it's something that worked into a legend of some sort or a myth of some sort, Mm -hmm. but here's where it came from. Here are the creatures that originated it. And you can see into it. And that would be, I think, if I wrote one, it would be like that. And it would definitely be, well, I guess you could do it in Dallas. That would be so boring. I like Chicago a lot. You, could set, you don't have so. to set it where you live. You just set it where you want. I know. So Chicago or San Francisco or New Orleans. Well, not New Orleans. That's been done to death. But um, somewhere like that. And I don't know what I would call it. Because that would require a certain amount of creativity so that you were kind of interesting but Vague. Lo- Loving Dead set in San Francisco, so. Yeah, like, yeah, okay. In this, you know, the Reapers of the Angels, that's set throughout the South, which also was very creative. Um, but that's just kind of where I would go with it. I I can't get more specific than that. I'm sorry. Okay, so. You got you to gotta work on the name. Yeah, you got to work you, on the last name. On. No, well, you tell your idea and I'll think about the name. <laughs> <laughs> so if you, if you wanted stand, to, eh? if, if you were grasping for. Uh, uh, you're just hankering for an urban fantasy book. What would you want to see on the cover? Zombies and airships, or would you rather see, I don't know, uh, werewolves and, uh, I don't know, submarines? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my Given idea the is choice, it. is there any third option? Sure, any, anything. I mean, urban fantasy, I, I guess the mummy? That That's, that's uh, it's, it basically has to be sort of a traditional oh, yeah. uh, creature that in in attacks uh i don't know north america or europe or you know american werewolf in london i guess is a proto is a proto urban fantasy sure well it could even be i mean uh what's the name of that book territory that's set in um oh that's gosh right? Where, yes but it's um it's like, Gettys, gettysburg era no, no, no. Well, it, yeah, but it's um, in the West. It's oh, Tombstone. Oh, okay. Right before the big showdown, right? Okay. But there's this whole layer of magic underneath it that it's really the end of it. It's just a kicker. I'm just telling you. But this whole layer of, fan- of magic underneath it is going on, but it's kind of Asian. You know, I based. think, yeah, it, the, so, the Dresden stuff, that's magic. That's He's a magician, right? Um, mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, it, it, basically, it's any fantasy element. Uh, yeah. I guess would be. It doesn't have to be a mummy that will attack you and eat you. Although there's usually something hostile, or where's the conflict? Right. You know. Yeah. As we know, <laughs> that's important. That's, well, mostly. <laughs> I, uh, I think. I think. It, I Missouri think, in a farmhouse. I think it's right. You have to have conflict, but it 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 can be it can be on a. Uh, I, I don't think you raise the stakes by having more conflict. I think you just have to have. Uh, yeah. well, it has to have a reason. Yeah, yeah. It, it has to yeah. be a, a through through line. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, which is kind of interesting. Thank you for that thought. Okay. I'm just kind of going. I'm like, oh, my book review. I think that. Helps oh, good. Something. Yeah. Well, Wayne, no, no uh, name yet. Um, no, I'm going to have to. John microphone. Just going There's to have your to name. Work on that. What is it? John microphone. Because you take the first uh, initial uh, of, okay. of your last name and you switch that with your first name, and then you pick an, an object, uh, and and it, 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 tangentially related to yourself, right? 
okay. that's that's where I got mine, sort of. Okay. Well, uh, I'll I'll go with that, and you can call me Mike. <laughs> John, <laughs> uh, you know what? That could work too, Mike. Mike. Mike Johns. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Johns. There. That sounds like a totally made up name. I've been yeah. told Wayne June sounds like a made-up name too. So, uh, it it uh, yeah, it's it's well, I guess June is. You know what? You, you've got a urban fantasy name already. Oh, thank you very much. That's <laughs> it's right. a noun. Thank you. It's a noun. Yeah, there you go. That'll work. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Oh, one last well, thank thing. Thank you. Oh, no problem. What's what's up? Did Julie? you see that? Did you see that thing about the new Jules Verne translation? Uh, no. The Castle in Transylvania? No. Um, I just saw this recently, so I printed it out. It's called The Castle in Transylvania, translated by Charlotte Mandel, Back from the Dead, the original zombie story. This is from the PR stuff from the publisher. Have you seen this, Wayne? No, Uh, I have not. Before Bram Stoker's Dracula, Jules Verne, master of science fiction, wrote this eerie tale of the supernatural set in a forgotten valley in the mountains of Transylvania. In a tiny village cut off from the outside world, unnatural events are menacing the populace. Um, Sounds interesting. I'm sorry, I started reading ahead. Apparitions of vampires and zombies terrorize the town folk, and they come to believe the devil occupies... The abandoned castle looming over the town. A visitor to the region, a young count, vows to liberate the town from this thrall, pitting his reason against the forces of evil and superstition. Yet he, too, must confront the limit of reason when he views, in the depths of the castle, his long-dead love. This gripping story, a genre-making first, has long been unavailable. Melville House is proud to present it here in a brilliant new translation by award-winning translator Charlotte Mandel. Although now I'm, now I'm reading this, I'm thinking... So is this really a new translation, or is this their way they're presenting her story? And now I'm now I've, that's been done so many times. I'm oh James yeah, Slayer, yeah, so. you're right. Um, but well, that's pretty maybe exciting. maybe they need a new narrator. Uh, can you do a Transylvanian accent, Wayne? Um, I, <laughs> could, I could probably I, I could probably work on it. Sure, I want to suck you? your blood. <laughs> I'm, I can't compete with that. Oh, okay, I got myself a job. <laughs> All right, Jesse. I want to hear it. Thanks, guys. Anyway, I just thought I'd bring that up. It's kind oh, it's of interesting. Good. That I sounds thought. like a good book. Yeah, uh, at least so. potentially. Uh, I, I I think they're they're going to burn themselves out pretty soon. Uh, maybe another year before they stop making these uh, uh, re remixes, re- mashups of. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go look again and- because. Amy H. Sturgis's blog is where I saw this, and she said, a new Jules Verne. I mean, they were saying it just hasn't been translated for 100 years. I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't I, be surprised. I, I've never heard, heard it. He's written a ton, man. Uh, yeah. wrote a ton. So I, I had my fingers crossed it's the real thing. Well, we could we could probably find out. I mean, it's it's going to be on a list somewhere, if if not. Um... And what was Amazon. the title of it again? The Castle in Transylvania. Okay. I'm gonna. I'm going to be looking that up. Mm. Uh, we should yeah, do some Jules Verne at some point. I. I'm, uh, yeah. yeah. That, that that's a, that's on my list. Uh, the the frustration I have with Jules Verne sometimes is um, you were talking about things being unscientific mm. uh, before. Uh, you really have to uh, place it historically and and allow yourself to. 
to to believe it with some of his descriptions of technology. I mean, you know, first men in the moon, they shot him out of a cannon. Yeah, you know? a lot of his stuff, I, I think calling him a science fiction writer is actually probably not very accurate. Just because he, he doesn't, he's not r- trying to be scientifically accurate. He's he's basically a fan- writer of the fantastic. Um, and so, yeah, you can't survive the gravities of that. But he also, uh, he's he's not unaware of the science. He just doesn't, that's not what he's taught. He's, he, it's almost like he's writing uh, parodies. So what was the, I, I did Around the World in 80 Days, uh, which is probably the most scientific book he's got. Um, mm-hmm. And it has a little nice uh, all quasi-science fiction twist at the end uh, with the time zone things. Um, and and yet it's it too. I mean, all the characters are sort of it's designed to epitomize something, right? Uh, the Passepartout character is a uh, he's he's uh, to represent the Frenchman who is the audience, presumably for the book, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yet the main so character kind of like a social social satire yeah, type. Yeah, of thing. I, I mean the whole the whole novel starts with a premise that. Uh, uh, there's two things that happen. The bank, uh, some bank in England, um, left a giant wad of money lying around. Um, and the way it starts is, uh, yes, you can go into the bank, and every everyone in England is entirely trustworthy. Um, they just leave big piles of money around because an Englishman would never stoop to uh, a petty <laughs> theft, right? And especially a gentleman, <laughs> gentleman, of course, and and and. The main character is a is the most English of all Englishmen, right? He he um, he fulfills every oath he he promises. He he's um, entirely upstanding and upright, and and you know likes he's very precise about everything. Um, it's it's some sort of caricature, and I don't recognize all of it because I'm not I'm not him. You know, I'm not I'm not living at the time, and I. I don't quite get it all, but it it's uh, it's not designed to be science fiction in the way H. G. Wells is. It's very different. Right. Okay. So Julie sent us the cover. It looks like. Well, this is there. the yeah. This is the Amazon link. It's a zombie. It's a zombie, all right. Um, but it's the old-fashioned zombies, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it says the there's a salon review that says. It's the real deal. Hmm. Well, it, there are dozens, uh, dozens, and dozens of books. He wrote tons of books, so I would be surprised. Well, I'm super excited about it. Well, so. they, did they send you a review copy? No. Well, they will. <laughs> <laughs> I have to wait till Christmas and see if somebody gives it to me. And is it out now, yeah. or is it coming? Um. Well, I don't know. It says it will. Ship today. Okay. Let me see. Can you get that on Kindle yet? Uh, don't it does not look like it. See it. Bummer. I'm I'm getting addicted to that thing. I got the program uh, on my yeah. uh, my new phone, and mm-hmm. so oftentimes I can just you know take a script. Uh, if it, if it happens to be on Kindle, it's great. Just take my phone into the booth and. And go from there. What are you recording at the moment? Uh, well, I'm working on editing some stuff now. I did um, a classic vampire story called uh, 
the vampire, oddly oh, enough. Oh, I, I, I yeah. know that one. Who's the author? Yeah, it's, uh, with the Y. It's uh, yes, and it's uh, yeah. James Polidori, and the, the sort of the history of the story was uh, when uh, Mary Shelley and Lord Byron and uh, uh, William Blake uh, were all, were all hanging out. They were having a contest one night uh, who can write the best scary story, mm-hmm. and out of, out of that competition came Frankenstein, and also. Um, the Vampire by John Paul. I think there was another story that came out too, and I, I, it's slipping my memory. Um, we talked about we talked about that movie actually. There was a movie version of of that meeting um, briefly. We talked about it oh, in the yeah, previous podcast. There was, wasn't there? Uh, the Ken uh, Russell movie um, called Gothic, right? Um, which I didn't care for, but uh, I, I I love the premise. I love the the you know you get together all these. Poets and uh, authors, and they get together one scary night uh, in. I think I think they were in Switzerland, weren't they? When they did that, yes, allegedly, like, like so. Geneva or something, something like that. Yeah, it sounds sounds cool. But um, so that's that's what I've got in the works. I'm also editing some another uh, Edgar Allan Poe uh, volume with uh, four stories in it, and. Um, that's pretty much what I'm working on now. Um, any? Have you? You haven't done it. Um, I, I'm wondering if there is a, a really good version of um, of Poe's only novel, the um, the Antarctic mystery. What's it called? Uh, oh yeah, the uh, narrative. Uh, of... Arthur Gordon Pym. Is that it? Yes. Yeah. Yep. I haven't read that, and I'm. Oh, I haven't either. Uh, I'm. I, I do like Poe, so. Yeah, he was uh, yeah. A, a, a wacky individual. You get too much <laughs> in, into his head reading his stuff for uh, a week or more, and it's time to get out the Prozac. <laughs> but, uh, he's but but he he's a master also. Absolutely, and uh, you you know I think you can see uh, you can see Poe Poe in um, this book, the Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Yeah, there's certainly uh, you know his influence there. Yeah. Um. Uh, what what all the what I've been wondering and haven't found an answer to why why is it called this not the strange case it's called strange case of is that just a typo? No, because no, that's the they, they say later it was the but yeah, but it, it was originally put out as strange case. strange case of Dr. yeah. How many strange cases? I, what I would say. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that might have been a you know one of those Victorian affectations where they they leave the the definite article out. I don't like that. Uh, I'm just making that. Yeah, it must be. <laughs> I was like, was that an affectation? It, it, My it's goodness, it's an affectation of one. <laughs> as far as I know, this only <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> he did it, so it must have happened a lot. Yeah, but uh, I I will buy the uh, the typo. Theory as well, yeah. Terrible. It was fixed later, and everybody has it. You you added it to yours. Did yeah, I? it's the strange case of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Um, although on the spine it says Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, I can understand why you did that for the spine. But uh, everybody adds the thaw because without the thaw, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, and of course, usually it's just called Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. So yeah. leaving the whole or just first Jekyll half and Hyde, and forget about the Doctor and the Mister. Yeah, that's. 
crazy. And uh, those of us in the know call it J and H. I'm not part of that inner circle. No, I guess I'm not either, really. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you very much. I, I got students coming, so we'll, we'll oh, yes. cut this off. I enjoyed it. Thanks. <laughs> oh, back to work Bye. for you and back to bed for me. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, you, yeah, you're up all, all night, so that, that, that explains yeah. the scariness. Uh, you, got, you got the spooky howling of the wind in the middle of the night in Connecticut. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It's the, the, the spiders are building their webs uh, on the outside of the house, and it's, it's getting, as, as you stated in your email to me a couple of days ago, uh, it's full of october goodness, yeah. so, Ooh. <laughs> which I liked very much. I know. I don't get that till about December, so you oh, wow. lucky devil. December, December yeah. goodness? Yeah, well, around here in Dallas, they, they, you know, the leaves turn in December. Oh, really? That's like. late. Well, or November. I mean, I could be outside walking in shorts, bright blue sky, just the leaves starting to turn at the end of November. So it's kind of depressing. I'm still wearing but... shorts. I haven't, I haven't switched over to uh, long pants yet. Nope. Us either. Thank, thanks for that mental picture. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying about my attire, sir? <laughs> this is going to cause those nightmares that make you wake up with a great idea for an urban fantasy and a good title. Mm. That's right. Hey, wait, there you go. Is, strange, is the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde an urban fantasy? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> God, seems it like is, it, I right? guess. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it could be. And if uh, you have any doubts, you can get your copy at audiobookcase.com. There we go. There you go. Good yeah. place to end it. Thanks, guys. <laughs> This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.